29 AD, there was one about to change the world. Fully man, fully God, Jesus. Next to him was a friend who witnessed everything. He saw early miracles. He sat at his right hand. His own eyes saw Jesus transfigured. The very heart of Christ was poured out to him, and he was there at the cross on the day history was altered. These are the words and the story of John. I'm going to tell you a quick story. On December 16th, 1991, it was 11 p.m. I was sound asleep. I go to bed at about 9.30, especially at that age. I, I, my kids were really little. I had one son at that point. Uh, I was sound asleep. I mean, sound asleep. But when I go to sleep at that point, I'm sound asleep. And the phone rang. And back then, we actually had cords and phones with wires and stuff on them. And yeah, and it was next to my bed and it rang and it woke me up and it woke me up harshly because that phone doesn't ring usually at 11 o'clock at night. I grabbed the phone. On the other end of the phone uh, was a man that said, hi, Mr. Moore, this is the chief from the fire department of Hammond, Indiana. We've got a small fire in one of your plants right now. No need to be concerned. It's small. We've got it under control. We should have it out in a few minutes. We would like you to come down to the plant or send one of your representatives down or one of your managers to meet with us uh, just so we can go over and review what happened, sign an incident report and be on our way. And I said, I'll be there. It's a 40 minute drive. I think I got there in 30 minutes. My heart was pounding out of my chest. I was scared to death, wondering what was really going on. I pulled in to a seven acre site, a 250,000 square foot building that was a huge steel foundry at one time, fully engulfed in flames, absolutely engulfed in flames. And I began to cry. I had no idea what was gonna happen. And as I'm driving into the back, I'm looking at I-beams that are three feet and with huge I-beams, white hot, melting like candy in a stove. Never seen anything like it. The fire chief said, Bill, that fire that's that hot is over 3,000 degrees. I don't know if he was right or not, but that's what he told me. And I'm watching with my own eyes as this building is starting to collapse because the fire went to the roof and the, roof's, the fire spread across the roof and the roof is dropping in and the building's starting to collapse. It's everything I've put into it. It's three years I've been, I've been out on my own, had this building, and I'm watching it burn, and it's tearing my heart out. I'm absolutely panicking. I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do? And we're racing in on forklifts, trying to pull things out. We're trying to get our records out and throw them in our car. We've got smoke, we can't breathe. Uh, we're looking at propane tanks and trying to move them so they don't blow up and explode. I mean, we're scared to death. It was just absolutely overwhelming watching what was happening. So it's 11 o'clock, I get the call. By midnight, this building's fully engulfed in flames and going down, and we're gonna, it's gonna be completely destroyed. By 1 p.m., the fire chief has the police with him, and he finds me and says, Bill, we need to meet with you in a private space. We find an office in another building on the site, and he said, we can't find one of our firefighters. We think he's trapped in the building and he's dead. And I'm heart's racing now, and the police chief said, we think you set the fire, and this is now a criminal investigation. I can't tell you. I was 29 years old. Taylor was only two years old. Susie was pregnant with Kyle at home. She couldn't get out of bed. She was on bed rest. And I'm standing there listening to this, and I'm like, I didn't do anything. I didn't, I didn't set the fire, and these people are mad. These men are mad. This is their friend that's dead, and they think I set the fire to collect insurance. So that little did they know, I took all the insurance off the building weeks earlier because I couldn't afford it. 
I was just getting started. I barely had enough money to make things work. And so I took the insurance off the building. I didn't start no fire, but they didn't know that. And they were mad and my life's flashing before me. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm gonna be in jail. My kids are never gonna see me again. My life's ruined. I mean, it was awful, you guys. I had no idea how painful that night would be when that night started. I had no idea the next year was gonna be that hard. I had no idea a year later I would still be having chronic headaches and stomach pain. I had just accepted Christ a year earlier, and I had no idea that that's how he treated new believers. And what was worse, I didn't know his voice. I was a new believer. I didn't know what his voice sounded like, so the only voice in my head was really bad. And it scared the heck out of me constantly. That was the worst year of my life. Sadly enough, every single person on this earth suffers in some way like that. Everyone does, and if you haven't, you will. And most of the time, we have no idea why. We have no idea why. When that was going on, I had no idea why that was going on. And it was scary, and it's hard, and it's unsettling, and it is for you too as well, and I know. And God doesn't come tell us what's happening. He doesn't tell us why it's happening, and he never tells you that it's going to end. You have no idea when it's going to end. And so this suffering that we go through, you guys, is hard. It's hard. I had a man at a golf course a couple weeks ago look at me and he said, how old are you, son? I said, well, I'm 60. And he said, you retired? I said, well, funny enough, I am. Yeah, and he said, boy, you sure look like you lived an easy life. And Susie just kind of touched me on the shoulder and I was just like, yeah, yeah. In John 11, Jesus allowed Lazarus and his sisters to experience the horror of death. And he could have stopped it, but he didn't. Instead, Jesus walked right into that fear, that fear of the unknown, that fear of death, that fear of pain and suffering, that fear of what's happening to us. He steps into that and he says to them, without hardly doing anything, I own this. I own all of this. I own suffering and I own death. And you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. So the question I would ask you tonight is what is causing you that kind of fear? Suffering, death, what's causing that kind of fear for you right now? I'm praying tonight that you're gonna let Jesus take away some of that fear that you're suffering from whether it's with suffering or it's with death, I'm praying he'll take some of that fear from you tonight. Let's pray and get started. Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. Holy Spirit, be in this room. Lord, don't let me get in the way of these guys hearing you and hearing what John had to say. Lord, speak to our hearts, Jesus. Father, we need to have some of this fear taken away. We're scared of these things. They scare us, Lord. Please take that fear away so we may be more confident and more capable of living as men of God. Lord, speak now, come be with us, Lord, and help our phones also not be a distraction, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. When we open John 11 and we read that Lazarus was dying, and then we read Jesus waits. He waits, and he waits at least a day. And he makes a lot of people wait, you guys. What's interesting is you read that story, and then if you've been in your Bible at all, you go, this is the way he does things. A lot of people in the Bible waited for things. Joseph, enslaved by his brothers 13 years before he sees freedom again. Abraham, 
The guy who fathered our faith had to wait a hundred years before he would have a son. A hundred years before he would have a son. And Moses waited in the desert, the most loyal servant you've ever seen. He's given his entire life up for God. God puts him in a desert 40 years with a family just sitting there, and then another 40 years in a desert leading 2 million people that hated him to never see Israel, to never enter. That's waiting. That's suffering. Jesus makes people wait. Lazarus will be dead for four days when Jesus arrives, and Martha knows because she says his body's going to be decaying. What are you doing? And Jesus says to his disciples, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad. I was not there so that you would believe the death of Lazarus and the agony that his family goes through has nothing to do with them. This is the ironic part of the story. Had nothing to do with them. Their suffering was to change the disciples. There's a problem with the belief of the disciples. These guys have a faith issue. And somebody has to die. And a family has to suffer because of their lack of faith. And Jesus needs these men to move. He needs them to change. They have to mature. He's counting on them. And so somebody else has to suffer so that they will change. So they'll grow in their faith. That is a powerful statement. Their suffering was meant to change the disciples. Jesus did what he did to get his men to believe. As our suffering often does, guys, it doesn't always have to do with us. Our Christian suffering is not always just about our purpose or our needs or our life. In fact, oftentimes it can have very little to do with us. We just don't know it. We can't see or know what God's doing. We just can't see it. He has a view you'll never have. He stands in view of things you cannot see. He has a plan you'll never see. He doesn't open it up to you ever, and he never will. He has assets you will never touch. He's got access to people you can't talk to. In languages you can't speak, he can see the hearts of everyone at the same time, which you cannot do. He can, he can bypass time anytime he wants. He's not constrained. You have none of that. So how could you possibly understand suffering the way he does? You can't. There's no possible way, so stop trying. Romans 8, 28 says, In all things God works for the good of those who love him. Your bad situation may be necessary for the good of another believer. He doesn't say in all things he works for your good all the time. That's not what it says at all. He says he works for the good, the good of everyone in all things. Which means your bad may be someone's good. And it may be God working on your behalf, and it may not. You may need to change. It could, in fact, be that. And your situation may need to change, and it could be that. And another person may need to be changed, and it could be that. God has to fix a lot of broken stuff, you guys, before he can get something good to come out of it. You just can't see all the things he has to fix because you're not privy to that. You don't have access to what he can see. You just have to believe that he's doing that. There was a man at our indie plant that was a heroin addict, and he was stealing from us on a regular basis, and we have ultimately caught him, and we're very close to this guy. He was a dear friend, young guy. I love this guy so much, still do. And the only way you can often deal with heroin addicts, alcohol, alcoholics, is you have to fire them. You have to push them to the bottom of their pit. 
There's not always an easy way to take care of them and move them in. Sometimes in this case, we had to do that. The problem was his mother worked at another plant. And when she found out I had fired him, she hated me. She wouldn't talk to me. She wouldn't look at me. And I couldn't share with her what I knew because it would violate his HR rights. I couldn't do that. It was wrong. You can't set that precedent. You can't just pick and choose who you talk about with who as, as the leader of a company. So I didn't. I couldn't tell her that. Two years. And this lady I was very close to. I was very close to her. For two years, she wouldn't talk to me. After the end of two years, her, her son finally got into rehab and came home and told her mom, his mom what he had done at our company. And she called me and said, I had no idea. I'm very sorry. I'm so sorry. And I was like, I know. I know. It hurt me so much to see you hurting. And it hurt not to be connected to each other. But I'm sorry I couldn't tell you. I hope she said, I'm so grateful you held per I know you had to do what you had to do. But here's the thing, guys, she made wrong assumptions about me because she was suffering. And don't we do that to God? We make wrong assumptions about him when we cannot understand our own suffering. And we gotta stop doing that. God is good and he loves you. Making wrong assumptions about God means they're wrong. How have you handled your painfully uncertain times in the past? Jesus goes on to meet his friends. He doesn't stay. He goes on. And he wept when he saw them. Mary and Martha came out and he weeps with them. He cries with them. Why did he weep with them? Because he was close to them. He's looking in their eyes and he's seeing their pain and he's close to them. But there's something more than that. Think about this. Jesus created those people himself. When God said Let's make man in our image. Jesus was the guy that was doing the work. Jesus is the creator of people. He's human. He creates human beings. He's the one that creates a baby in the womb. It's Jesus. Jesus makes people. He's the creator. He's that part of the Trinity. That's a crazy thought. He made Martha and Mary and Lazarus. He did. They were from him. They were part of his soul in a deep way. And in a human level, they were deep, close friends. His friends made in his image. Can you imagine the power of those feelings? At a human level, looking at them like, I made you. Like, I created you. <laughs> and you're my friend. And I love you. He felt their deep pain of losing their brother. They were very close friends. And they loved each other deeply. They believed in each other. They trusted each other. And he felt that pain of never seeing Lazarus again. He could feel that deeply. He felt anger that the devil destroyed what he had made. Can you imagine that? Somebody's destroying the people that you made. You feel anger towards that. He felt anger that, and he felt a deep pain. Can you imagine as he looks into the tomb and sees rotting corpses and he goes, I made that one, and I made that one, and I made that one, and the devil's destroying every single one of these. That would make you mad. And the anger of God, of Jesus, was in that moment. Jesus models for us how to help people who are deeply hurting in this setting, you guys. This is really important to see. We must go to them and be with them. This is really important. People are hurting. They're struggling. You got to go to them. You got to be with them when they're hurting. You can't send a text message and calm the pain of somebody. You can't send an email. You need to go with them. A phone call still isn't even enough. Jesus goes to them. 
And then he connects with their emotion. This is really important. You've got to feel the pain of the people that you're with. Jesus knows he's going to raise them from the dead. Why does he weep? He knows what he's going to do. Why does he weep? So he can show them, I'm feeling what you're feeling 100%. When you go spend time with somebody that's hurting and you're crying with them, what do they feel? They see you cry and it makes them feel good. It's amazing how that feels. I remember that when we had a guy die in our plant and one of the guys in Heart of a Man came to my house and he rang the doorbell, walked in and I was, it was that night and I was just crying. I couldn't stop crying. And this guy walked in and just grabbed me and he started crying with me. I'm telling you guys, there is something powerful about weeping with another man. That's what Jesus is showing. Be human. The humanness is important. And I can do that. I'm God. I'm Jesus. I can come out of being God and I can get into this. And I will when you're weeping. When you're crying, I'm crying. When you weep, I weep. Even now, I weep with you. And so we fill in for Jesus, especially when he can't be here physically. That's who we are, you guys. We stand in for him. When our friends are hurting, that's our job. We stand in for him. And what we don't do is use Bible verses and stories right away. Don't do that. That makes people mad. It hurts them at times. There'll be a time for that, but not right away. Right away, that's the wrong move on the chessboard. Point them to Jesus when they're ready for them to hear Jesus. Last week, I had a dear friend meet me for breakfast, and I couldn't believe the timing of this meeting because I was working on this lesson. I'm like, Lord, help me feel the suffering of another brother so that I'm not cavalier as I talk about this. And this brother sat with me at breakfast, and he said, we've been trying for a year to get pregnant, and I can't take it anymore. I can't stand it. I don't know why God's doing this to me, and I'm not going to accept this. I will not tolerate this. I'm not going to be this guy without children. I'm not going to accept this answer. This is not what's going to happen to me. And I said, are you angry at God? He's like, no. I said, I think you are. I think you are. I think you're angry at God. And he said, man, we've been working on this. We've been at this. We're trying. I've been good to God. I gave my life to Christ. You baptized me. I've given my life to Jesus. I've done everything he's told me. And this is what he's going to do to me. This is what he's going to do to me. This is wrong. And man, I'll tell you, I couldn't stop crying because I'm looking at him. And I'm like, I know. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to help you. I don't know what to say. And I just sat there and I hugged him and I told him I loved him. I said, I'm your friend. I'm not going to leave. And then we got together the next day with some other guys. And we just did the same thing over and over and over and he said to me, right, when we sat down the first time, he said, if you quote the Bible, I might hit you. I just want you to know that if you go there with me, I'm going to be, I'm going to get up and leave, dude. This is not the time for you to start teaching the Bible to me. It's not going to help me. And ultimately, I, 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 what I realized, what he needed was he needed a safe place to be angry at God. He needed a safe place to be angry at God. Now, not everybody ex experiences suffering that way. But a lot of men do. When you're in the heat of the battle, and I know I did, when my building burnt to the ground, an older gentleman was standing in my kitchen about a week later, and he said, you know what, Bill? God works for the good of all those who love him, and you're going to have a bigger, better building someday. This is just God getting rid of the crappy one to give you a new one. And I'm just sitting there looking at this guy like, okay. And I turned around and walked away, and I literally punched a wall. I'm like, you jacked. 
and I tore something else out. In other words, popped out, but I was so stinking mad. I mean, I, I, I could have killed that guy in that moment because I'm like, that's so easy to say, but you have no idea what you're talking about. You don't know what's going to happen. You're not God. You don't know that he's going to build another building. How do you know that? How do you know that? You have no idea. And so when you start telling people it's all going to be okay, you don't know that it's all going to be okay. That's cavalier, you guys. And being with my friend the other day really helped me see, man, I don't want you to feel like I'm being that way, you guys. I understand. I don't know what's going to happen in your life. I don't know how your suffering is going to end. I don't know where it's going. I don't. And I don't want you to think I'm saying it's going to be easy. It's not. It's not. But what you do got to ask yourself is what emotions or feelings do you need to express to God when you are in that space? And who can you do that with? Who can you do that with? If you're hurting, who will you go to for help? And the other side of that is if you're a guy in here going, man, I ain't hurting. I'm in a great place right now. Okay, well, who is it that you're going to help tonight then? Because I'll tell you what, I know men in this room right now that are hurting. And you might want to open your eyes and look around and be a guy that says, okay, I got some room to help now. And look to help somebody because we need each other, you guys, in this space. Jesus went to them and he wept. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was dead four days. And the Jews believed that the spirit of the dead person hovered over the body for three days. In fact, today they still practice something called Shemira, where they post guards over the body until the body gets brought into the gravesite to protect it from somebody corrupting the spirit that's hovering over the body. So they really do believe this stuff. So Jesus is sending a loud message. Okay, I'll wait four days. So when your little myth ends, you'll know this dude's dead. Man, Lazarus was dead, dead, and everybody knew it. Everybody knew it. There was no question about it. Death was created by God. Death was created by God. God created death after the fall. Do you remember what happened? God said, Adam sinned. He ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then God said, now you're surely going to die. And he said, why? We cannot let man eat from the tree of life and live forever. That's a key clue. Men, if we don't die, we live for eternally, we live eternally separated from God. That's what he's talking about. If you eat from the tree of life in the end state, eternal life separated from God is what you had to. Death broke that from happening. Death was a gift from God, so that would not happen. Living forever with the devil in a world of pain is what would be if there were no death. That's where we would be, you guys. This world, when you take the Christians out, is hell. Think about this world. You just take all the Christians out of the world and you're now living in hell. This world will be hell. And that's what it'll be like when we're all gone. And that's why God created death. When Adam's sin got immediately acted, he created physical death. Physical death was a gift, a blessing, an act of mercy that God gave to remove us from our sinful bodies in a sinful world. This is an incredible gift, you guys. Death for unbelievers is a nightmare. Death for believers is incredible. It's incredible. We do not fear death. We get excited about death. I get out of this place. I don't have to be around Satan. I don't have to live in sin. I don't have to live with this anymore. God's like, no, you don't. I have created a pathway back. This is glorious. This is glorious, you guys. We should be excited to die. We get to be with Jesus. The devil created fear of death, not God. Did you hear this? 
the devil created fear of death, not God. God created death, which means it's good. The devil's trying to make you think it's bad. He thinks you should say, oh, I want to live forever. And what do we try to do? We're constantly trying to live forever, aren't we? Immortality is important to us. And God's like, why do you want that? Why would you want that? Pagans want to be immortal. Christians say, get me to Christ as quick as possible. Jesus wants us to embrace death. we got to be grateful there's a way home, you guys. Jesus said, if you believe, he said that to Martha. If you believe, you'll never die. I mean, do you guys catch that? If you believe in this resurrection, you will never die. You, that means us right now. He's talking to us today. You're not going to die. Your body's going to die, but you're never going to be outside the presence of Jesus Christ. It's not going to happen. That is an incredible promise, you guys. Jesus looked at death and said, I'm going to break this bond between your body and your spirit so that your spirit can remain with me forever. In Philippians 1, Paul said, I desire to depart and be with Christ. Some people think there's an intermediate place. There's no intermediate place. None. And if you read books from Christians that died and came back, Seven Lessons I Learned from Heaven from a doctor. She wrote it. It's a fantastic story in a kayaking accident, buried under the water for 45 minutes. She's dead. She's describing how Christ came down and pulled her out of the kayak. Arms are broken. Legs are broken. She felt none of that. She's drowned. She felt none of that. She was pulled out. She felt the love of Jesus. She's feeling his arms wrapped around her. He takes her to heaven. That's what it's like, you guys. That's what happens. There's no middle ground. There's no intermediate place. Don't be kidding yourself. You go into the presence of Christ now. That should make you want to believe. How does the fear of death affect you right now? How does the fear of you or a sibling or a child or a wife or a brother or a parent dying affect you right now? How afraid of that are you? I meet a lot of guys that are deathly afraid of that because they don't know this truth. This is powerful, you guys. This is powerful. Jesus stunned everybody by praying to God. He's standing in front of the tomb and he prays and he looks up and says, God, do what you do, bro. Maybe not quite like that, Jay, but something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. He said, God, do what you do so these people may know you did this, not me. And then he said, Lazarus, come out. And why does he say Lazarus? Because if he didn't, the tomb's full of people running out. And he's yelling, you get back in. No, you get back in. Whoa, I wasn't asking. No, stop it. You, I don't know, right? So he had to say Lazarus. Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus knew his shepherd's voice. Didn't he? He knew his shepherd's voice. He heard his shepherd's voice. He followed his shepherd's voice. We heard that somewhere before. His decaying body arose and he shuffled out of the tomb in his burial clothes. And Jesus said, take those things off, talking to the other people around him. Now, Jesus could have easily said, Lazarus, come out and drop the chloride clothes on your way out. And it all would have happened, couldn't he? But he didn't do that. He had him shuffle out and said to the people around him, take his grave clothes off. Why? Because he wanted them to participate in liberating this man from his bondage of being a dead man. He's telling us something. He's telling us something. When Jesus called your name out of the dead, Ken, come out. You're dead. Now you're alive. Now come out and take off your grave clothes. 
And who helped Ken take off his grave clothes? Who helped Bill take off his grave clothes? It was not me. Gentlemen, you are wrapped in grave clothes. Sin, shame, fear, anxiety, lust, and those clothes need to come off. You cannot walk in the light. You cannot live liberated, draped in the grave clothes. He wants you free, and he's sending men from this room to liberate you. The question is, do you want to be liberated from those things in your past that wrap you and bound you and hold you down, or do you want to stay wrapped in your grave clothes, waddling around like a dead man? You can't be alive in Christ and set free to be who he's called you to be, bound up in your past. You can't be. In our heart groups, you guys, I'm seeing men help each other get free from pornography. Hatred of their dads, loneliness, and free from their anger. Just to give you some examples, I have watched men help men take off their grave clothes. And I'm telling you, you need men to help you get off your grave clothes. The bondage from my past has been overwhelming. My dad left when I was little. My mom left when I was little. That, that sense of being abandoned consumes me at times. And I've had men help me fight that battle. I've had help men, me overcome those fears and that lack of trust. And I need help with it today. That spirit of criticism I talked about, that is bondage. And I need help getting rid of that. And I'm getting help from men for that. What do you need help getting rid of? What do you need help getting rid of? Many of you are still living like dead men. In Ephesians 2, 1, it says you were dead in your sin when you followed the world. You were dead. You got to come out. What has got you bound up and unable to be free and to be alive? You have to get help and you got to look for men to help you. So men, who will you ask tonight to help you get free of what's got you bound up? You got to ask somebody to help you. And if you're asked by somebody to help you, what are you going to say? Are you too busy? Guys, we need to help each other. When a guy asks for help, you need to help. Step up, give up your time, lean in and be a man of God because somebody helped liberate you. Now you help liberate somebody else. That's what we do for each other, guys. Men of God. When our building burned to the ground, I was so stinking afraid for so long. I had no idea what God was doing. No idea. I thought it was all on me. I literally did every day. I just kept saying, you can do this. It's on you. You can make it happen. Do work harder. And I put all that pressure on me. Little did I know all the things that he was doing so far upstream and preparing to do. I had no idea what ever happened. I had no dream that they would ever happen. God gave me four buildings, one after another. And ultimately, I got to build my own new building. I never dreamed that would ever happen. And it did. It was amazing. Then he gave me a company from that. He gave me a company that I owned. It was my own. It was called Packmore. It was my company. I was the owner. I was the CEO. That came out of that fire. I had no idea that would ever. I never dreamed that would be me. I never dreamed that was happen. I was just an engineer hoping I could keep a job, man. That's all I wanted to do. No idea that. And then he gave me leadership over this. And it was leadership to lead as a godly man. And he sent godly men to teach me how to bring Jesus into the workplace. And we brought Jesus there, you guys. The last plant we had here in Indianapolis, we had dozens of men coming out of prison every single day to work in our plants. And then they'd go back to prison at night. And we would teach them Jesus. We'd show them Jesus. We'd love them with Jesus. We had drug addicts. We had all kinds of people in there. It looked more like a drug rehab center than it did a, a, a company. I had no idea God was going to use us that way. We saw Christ come to so many people and so many people's lives transformed through Jesus in a plant I had no idea he was ever going to build. That's how he works. 
He's so far past where you ever believe. When you trust in him, he does do that kind of stuff. God works in all things for the good of his people, using the suffering of all of us to help all of us. That's what he does. He didn't promise you would understand. So stop trying to understand. Trust him and stop being afraid. That doesn't mean ignore the pain. I didn't say that at all. I just said stop being afraid and trust him. Trust him. He gave us this story, you guys, and all these Bible stories so you can hear them and believe this stuff is true. And me telling you my stories and other men so you'll believe it's true. It's not trivializing your pain. It's telling you there's another side to the story. And you got to decide if you're going to believe it or not. Jesus weeps with you. He loves you. He feels your pain. So cry out to God and say whatever it is you need to say and do it with another man so you can be free to get it out. And trust me, he'll send another person to you if you ask him to do it with you. Jesus will never let you die apart from him. Never. You will see him in the moment you die physically. You'll never be outside the presence of him. Death will be the greatest day of this life for you. Can you believe that? Nobody thinks that, do you? Death is going to be your greatest day of this life. That is so cool to me. One day your body is going to be resurrected with its soul and Jesus will be in his resurrected body and we're going to be back on this planet in a new heaven and a new earth and we're all going to see each other and go, wow, I did not know you looked that good. Holy cow, I lost a few pounds, man. Where did the muscles come from? Dude, you look amazing, right? Yeah. Dude, that's what's going to happen, you guys. We're going to be there. And men, Jesus called us out of our graves already. We must get free of these sinful grave cloths, and we got to help other men do the same thing. And we must get rid of the fear, this fear that consumes us of being suffering and of death. We've got to get rid of it. Fear is from the devil. Love is from God. God's calling you tonight and saying, where is your fear? And how is it consuming you tonight? Let go of it, because I am with you And I'm preparing a path for you that you have no idea what it looks like. Trust me. Let's pray, you guys. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. Thank you, Jesus, for these precious men. And thank you for this precious story, Lord. Lord, take away our pain. Take this pain out of our chest and this fear and this anxiety of these things that are happening to us. Help us trust you and help us help each other, Lord. Help us help each other. We love you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. And in your name we pray, amen. 